This podcast is proudly produced and presented by the Zoomer Podcast Network, home of great podcasts like Marilyn Lightstone Reads, Idea City on the Air, and The Garden Show. It's Zoomer Radio's Theater of the Mind with Frank Proctor. Open your mind as we fill your head with amazing thrills, chills, <laughs> and laughs. Theater of the Mind, the best love programs from radio's golden age, only on Zoomer Radio. Now, here is your master storyteller, Frank Proctor. Well, thank you, and welcome to the show. You know, when I was a kid growing up in London, Ontario, Saturday afternoons were sacred. That was the day my parents gave me an allowance of 25 cents to go to the movies. I think the movie cost uh, 15 cents, but with the remaining 10 cents, I purchased a candy. And I don't remember the name of it, but I do remember the taste and the ingredients. It was a big marshmallow covered in caramel, then sprinkled with crushed peanuts. Wow. So I'd buy my treat, grab a seat, and get set for the cereals to come on, like Superman. Now, the previous week, we'd been left with the impression that it was curtainless for Superman. The nasty guy had kryptonite, and Superman was powerless. Then, flash forward to this week, and somehow, Superman found a way to escape with his life and go on saving the world. Wow! Then it was time for the double feature. And we kids were as happy as clams when one of those features was Abbott and Costello. Now, I remember them more from the movies than their radio show, but through the early 40s, they had gained a huge following. Tonight's show takes us back to 1945. Bud Abbott and Lou Costello adapted their talents to radio for this 30-minute weekly comedy program, and many of the skits revolved around Bud and Lou's efforts to succeed in some sort of business venture. The skits were often ones that they'd used in their vaudeville act. Popular culture scholar J. Fred MacDonald, in his book, don't Touch That Dial, Radio Programming in American Life, 1920-1960, wrote that the pair formed one of the leading radio comedy acts throughout the 1940s. So here they are in the episode entitled, Costello Gets a Tattoo. Costello program. Listen to the rhythm of Will Osborne and his orchestra, the great song styles of Connie Haynes and Bob Matthews. And that happy, heavy, hippie little horseman, who, when asked to pick the winner of the Kentucky Derby, glanced at his racing form and calmly said, Together 
I'll brush the dream from my eyes. I'll tell my heart it mustn't sing the song of remember when. So just say that I'm a friend of yours, that you have Costello, I've been looking all over for you, all week. I telephoned your house Tuesday night, and somebody answered and said you were taking a bath. You know I'm lost already? Right at the beginning, gang. <laughs> somebody. <laughs> Look, never mind, this is no... This is no kidding. Somebody deliberately told me that you were taking a bath. Somebody told, said that I was taking a bath? Yeah, I called up Tuesday night. Tuesday night? Yes. Brother, did you have the wrong number? <laughs> well, look, my wife said she saw you in a tattoo parlor on Main Street this morning. What were you doing in a tattoo parlor? Oh, I got lots of my girlfriend, Tessie Tinfoil. Yes. You know, the one that's in the army? Yeah. So I had a picture tattooed on my back. You had Tessie's picture tattooed on your back? Oh, yeah. Sure. And I had me tattooed on my chest. Look. See it? Wait a minute, Costello. I don't see you on your chest. Am I back there with Tessie again? <laughs> Talk says, Costello. I understand that Tessie is going to get out of the army next week. Oh, that's right, Abbott. And she's going back to her old job posing for a designer. He uses Tessie's knees for models. He uses Tessie's knees for models? Uh, wh what does he design? Doorknobs. Hey, doorknobs. <laughs> Wait a minute. Costello. <laughs> Costello, just a minute. Turn around. Let me see that picture of Tessie on your back. Go ahead. Turn around. Aha! Uh -huh, I thought so. She's knock-kneed. Tessie is not knock-kneed. Well, her knees are uh, touching. She just stands that way because she hasn't got any garters. I, uh... <laughs> Look, Costello, if you... <laughs> Costello, if you're so crazy about Tessie, why don't you marry her? Well, I, I, I don't believe in marriage, Abbott. Marriage is like soup. Marriage is like soup? Sure, by the time you get through spooning, it cools off. <laughs> <laughs> ah, that's ridiculous. Well, always, Abbott. You know, I, I, I don't know if Tessie wants to marry me or not. You see, she's also in love with nine other guys. Tessie is in love with you and nine other guys? Yeah. You should have been there the day Tessie left for the army. What do you mean? It was beautiful. The ten of us chipped in and bought her an engagement ring. Wait a minute. I understand you had a little spat with Tessie before she left. Well, what was it about? She got mad at me because I stole a kiss. Oh, now that's silly. Why should Tessie get mad because you stole a kiss? I stole it from her sister. I... <laughs> and you know something? That's the first girl I kissed since I le since last Christmas. Oh, Costello, you mean that from last Christmas till now you've kissed just one girl? How do you come for that? Oh, I guess I'm just a wolf. <laughs> I can see that. I'm a cat. I'm lower than a cat. I'm an old Studebaker. <laughs> with no fog lights. All right. Just cut that out, oh. Costello. The trouble with you is that you wear your heart on your sleeve. That's a lie. 
I might, I might have a little liver and onions on my vest and a smudge of tapioca on my trousers, but I ain't got no heart on my sleeve. No, no, Costello. I only meant that you are fickle. I'm what? You're fickle. Fickle. I never touch the stuff. <laughs> I've never been fickled in my life. Now, look. I'm not referring to drinking. I'm referring to love. Do you know what love is? Oh, sure. Little pigeons make love. Butterflies make love. Yes. Oysters make love. Yeah. Uh, wait a minute. Oysters make love. You'd be surprised what goes on inside them shells. No. <laughs> Costello, you don't appreciate romance. You know, you don't, really, Lou. You don't, you don't appreciate romance at all. Oh, when I was courting my wife, there was a big grandfather's clock in the living room. And we used to sit and listen to it tick, and it said, Take your time, take your time, take your time. Yeah, but things are different now, Abbott. Today, when a fellow sits in Apollo with his girl, there's an alarm clock on the mantel that says, Get together, get together, get together, get together, get together. Ah, I'll never forget that old grandfather's clock. It's a great memory, though, Lou. That old grandfather's clock. The day we were married, it stopped. Stopped? Yep. <laughs> Your wife must have looked at it. I guess... Uh, yeah, wait a minute. Are you insinuating that my wife's face would stop a clock? Well, it ain't running, is it? it... <laughs> Look, forget about the clock, Costello. What happened to your romance with that tall, red-headed girl? Oh, you mean lean against her? Yes. Oh, well, we're married and happy. Married and happy? Yeah, she's married and I'm happy. <laughs> I'm glad she married somebody else. The only reason you wanted to marry her was for her money. Well, marrying for money is better than getting married for no reason at all. Ah. <laughs> Costello, when I married my wife, everyone said it was a perfect match. Match is right. She struck you and you went out like a light. <laughs> well, at least I'm not henpecked. Henpecked? Before you were married, you used to snore in your sleep. Now you cackle. No, no, no. Now, that's not true. Before I was married, everything was lovely. I, I'd sneak into the parlor and I'd catch her in my arms. Now you're sneaking into the bedroom and catch her in your pockets. I... <laughs> oh, forget about my marriage, Costello. I'd like to get you straightened out. Now, Tessie Tinfoil is not the girl for you. Tessie is uh, too uh, blasé. Too what? Blasé. Uh, Tessie's too blasé. Blase. She's got more than two blasés. Tessie's got a red blasé and a green blasé. <laughs> and she's got a yellow blasé. She wears them with her, ch her checkered shirté. Skirté. <laughs> under the coté of her suité. No, 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 There's no, no. too many no, things. No, 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 no. Understand, you dummy. When I say she's blasé, I mean uh, Tessie's sophisticated. Sophisticated? That's right. How do you like that? And she promised to me that she'd stay on the wagon. Listen, you imbecile, please. When I say a girl's blasé, I'm not referring to her clothes. Anyone who is blasé is sophisticated, and sophisticated has nothing to do with being inebriated. It merely means that a person has reached a degree of sophistication, where he or she becomes blasé. Oh, when you say a girl's blasé, you're not referring to her clothes. No. And anyone who is blasé is sophisticated. And sophisticated has nothing to do with being inebriated. It merely means that a person has reached a degree of sophistication, where he or she becomes blasé. Now you've got it. Now I... I don't even know what I'm talking about! Get him out of me! <laughs> Here's that romantic Bob Matthews. I don't care who knows it. I'm in love with you.
or say could ever change me. Gotta take the sentimental journey 
journey home. I gotta take that journey, that sentimental journey. Oh, take me back home. Hey, wouldn't this be a dandy day to go to the beach? Oh, yes. If we had a telephone call, we could call up some girls. If we had a nickel. And if we knew any girls. There you go again. Girls, girls, girls. Can't you think of anything better than girls? There's something better. Oh, look, Costello. Hey, there's Connie Haynes. Why don't you ask her if she'd like to go to the beach? Okay. Oh, Connie! Connie! Hey, Connie, how would you like to go to the beach with me, huh? Well, Mr. Costello, honey, I don't know if I should. I suppose you all want to teach me how to swim? Oh, nothing like that. <laughs> well, uh, you all won't try to hold my hand? Oh, you know me better than that, Connie And you won't hug me or kiss me? Oh, gee, Willikers, no I mean, after all, I... I, 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 <laughs> I promise I won't Then what are we going for? <laughs> then what are we going for? <laughs> We're going for something <laughs> Well, goodbye, Mr. Costello, honey all right, honey. Well, Costello, he... kid murders me. Ah, wait a minute. You certainly got turned down fast by Connie. Well, maybe she sure because I broke a date with her Saturday night. I was supposed to meet her at 7 o'clock. What happened? I waited around till 11. She didn't come, so I just stood her up. That's all. <laughs> I wish Connie would go to the beach with us because she's, she's got the cutest bathing suit. What is it like? It's made of two pieces of string held together by a handkerchief. <laughs> well, it's too bad Connie's not going. Come on. Get your trunks, Costello, and let's go to the beach. My trunks? Yes. Why should I take my trunks? I don't want to move. I just want to go swimming. <laughs> well, you swim in trunks, don't you? I do not. I swim in the water just like anybody else. Uh, never mind. I'll rent you a swimming suit. Uh, would you wear a uh, rented suit? That depends where it's rented. And the size of the rent. No, no. Come on, Costello. Let's get started. I'll get some lotion to rub on you so you won't have sunburn. Oh, you don't have to worry about me, Abbott. I never burn. I just take a nice, healthy, even blister. <laughs> Well, come on, Costello. There's nobody around, so get into your suit. Ah, uh, isn't the beach beautiful? Just look at the birds flying over the water. Oh, I wrote a poem about them birds. I'll recite it. Go ahead. A wonderful bird is the seagull, which can fly quite as high as an eagle. They sit on the sand, and sometimes they stand, but you can't tell a he from a she-gull. <laughs> hey, hey, Costello, here comes a cop. The private beach. You can't swim here. It's against the law. Well, why didn't you tell me before I got undressed? Well, there's no law against undressing. <laughs> Look, let's go. Look, let's go. Let's go over behind those ropes, Costello. That's the public beach. Look at that beautiful redhead. I'm going with her and teach her to swim. Suppose she knows how to swim. Then I'll let her teach me. <laughs> hey, Eric, give me my pail and shovel. Right here is a spot where I covered Ruby Poolcue up with the sand last Sunday. Well, what do you want your shovel for now? Well, I figure it's about time to dig her up. I love Costello. Hey, look at that fat lady in that rubber bathing suit. Oh, them rubber ba bathing suits. <laughs> They're made for fat ladies. They, they got a five-way stretch. Five-way stretch? Yeah, up and down, back and forth, and a shelf to take care of the surplus. I... <laughs> hey, Costello, look at the man over there feeding donuts to his horse. Can you imagine that? Hey, you mister, what's the idea of giving all them donuts to your horse? I just wanted to see how many he'll eat before he asks for a cup of coffee. <laughs> hey, what are you doing on the beach with that horse? Well, you see, I came down here to go swim. 
It goes swim. It goes swim. Swimming? No, fishing. <laughs> Did you uh, catch anything? No. You see, my wife was with me, and the fish took one look at her. When they saw how badly I was hooked, they wouldn't bite at all. <laughs> All right, all right. Never mind him, Costello. Why don't you go into the water? You've always bragged to me that you were such a great lifesaver. Now, come I on. am a great lifesaver, oh. Rabbit, and I'll prove it to you. I can save anybody. Anybody at all. Anybody want to be saved? Anybody at all would like to be saved? Save me! Save me! Save me! Are you a man or a woman? Woman! How old? Fifty-seven! Anybody else want to be saved? <laughs> Never mind, the lifeguard got her. Lucky for you, Now, look, Costello, when you go into the water, stay close to the life boy. Stay closer to what? Uh, the boy. Stay close to the boy. That's the safest thing. Stay closer to the boy? That may be the safest thing, but if you want to have some fun, you've got to stay close to the girl. Costello. <laughs> Girls have nothing to do with this kind of a boy. The kind of a boy I mean will keep you up. Well, what do you know? What is the boy's name? Now, the boy has no name. It's just a plain red and white boy. A red... Dummy, this boy is anchored to a sandbar, and it has a bell. What is that bell boy doing in a bar? Nothing. The boy is not in the bar. The boy is on the bar. He probably crawl up there to steal some pretzels. No, no, no. <laughs> you imbecile. That boy is on the bar to keep people from going on the rocks. So he finally learned his lesson. Why didn't his mother keep him out of that bar? This boy hasn't got a mother. <laughs> hasn't got a mother? No. That did it. What do you mean? Abbott, you have gone too far. I didn't mind when you said that the girls will have nothing to do with this poor boy. And I was only mildly surprised when you told me that he was half red and half white. I said nothing when you pushed him up on top of that bar to steal pretzels when the bartender's back was turned. But when you tell me that that poor boy has no name and no mother, you have not only besmirched the sanctity of the American home, but you have cast aspersions on the good name of the campfire boys of Troop Number 35 USA, Harrison, New Jersey. Get him out of here! <laughs> Lovely Connie Haynes on stage now. With Will Osmond and the orchestra, Connie sings... Good, good, good. That's you, that's you. Nice, nice, nice. That's you, that's you. Fine, fine, fine. That's you, that's you. Good, good, good. That's you, that's you. Your tasty lips are sweeter than a lollipop. Time I kiss you, ooh, I hit the stop. I rack my brain to find the proper adjective, a sentimental compliment to give you. Good, good, good. That's you, that's you. Nice, nice, nice. That's you, that's you. Fine, fine, fine. That's you, that's you. Good, good, good. That's you, that's you Good, good, good That's you, that's you Sweet, sweet, sweet That's you, that's you Yum, yum, yum That's you, that's you Good, good, good That's you, that's you I never went to Cornell University Therefore I have a limited vocabulary And so I use the language that I have on hand 
that horseshoe. I'm going to throw it over my left shoulder and make a wish. I wish that Hedy Lamar was the head of a giraffe and I was the body. Oh, now that sounds silly. <laughs> That's ridiculous. Why should you wish that Hedy Lamar was the head of a giraffe and you were the body? I always wanted a long neck with Hedy. I... <laughs> Costello, you've got to get girls off your mind. Why don't you walk in the park at night and admire the stars? You mean like Betty Grable, Lana Turner, and Dorothy Lamar? No, 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 no. I'm talking about heavenly bodies. Brother, we're both talking about the same thing. Hey, look. <laughs> look, someday you're going to get in trouble chasing girls. And you'd better keep away from that young divorcee that lives next door to you. You'll never get to first base with her. I did get to first base with her, Abbott. Wh- what happened? Her ex-husband was on second. Hey. <laughs> and dummy girls like her are a dime a dozen. Yeah, dime a dozen? Yeah. Well, here's a nickel. Get me sick. Yeah. <laughs> I think you've got women on the brain. Last night in your sleep, you kept hollering for Ingrid Bergman. Well, Ingrid Bergman happens to be my favorite actress. Since I saw her in that bathing beauty picture. You saw Ingrid Bergman in a bathing beauty picture? What was it called? For whom the bath towels. I have... <laughs> Costello, please. Do you dream of women every night? Not every night. Well, that's better. Sometimes I take a nap in the afternoon. Uh, <laughs> come in. Oh, there you are, you fat, impudent little slob. That's me. <laughs> yes, you. Costello, last night I dreamt that I went out with you. You did? Yes, and I've never been so insulted in my life. Take that. <laughs> now, the next time I dream about you, maybe you'll act like a gentleman. <laughs> How do you like that? The next time she's dreamed, she's got a date with me. I ain't even going to show up. <laughs> well, Costello, I'm convinced that your dreams are the cause of all your girl trouble. And we've got to find out what they mean. Gee, I wish we could. Really, I do. I'm glad you said that, Costello, because we have with us tonight the world's greatest authority on dreams. Ah, good evening, gentlemen. I am the world's greatest dream analyst, Professor Melonhead. <clears throat> known, known professionally as Dreamboat Melonhead. Dreamboat Melonhead. Dreamboat. Looks like somebody plucked all the feathers out of your crow's nest. <laughs> hey, young man, are you trying to infer that my head is bald? Infer? If you put your head in fur, it would look like an oversized mothball. <laughs> hey, Abbott, get a load of that slippery dome. I've seen ostriches sitting on better-looking things than that. No, Costello, please. And you get results. I know, I know. Please. <laughs> You should make you should make cracks about the professor's head. If his head ever cracks, I'll make an omelet out of it. <laughs> Look, gentlemen, we're wasting time. Uh, professor Melonhead, yeah? can you tell us what causes Costello to dream about girls? Of course, Abbott. Tell me, Costello, do you dream about girls all the time? No, only when I'm asleep. You... Oh, that's fine. Good. Now I'll have to have a little of your case history. Do any other members of your family have peculiar dreams? Yes, my uncle Artie Stebbins. Mm-hmm. Last night he dreamed he was pulling the weeds out of his garden. Ah, he dreamed he was pulling weeds out of his garden. What happened? When he woke up, his wife was as bold as an eagle. (laughs) (laughs) All right, now let's get back to you, Costello. What type of girls do you dream of? Beautiful girls. Beautiful. Once I dreamed of beautiful, gorgeous blonde, and when I put my arms around her, something electric passed between us. A shock? No, she slipped her light bill into my pocket. (laughs) Well, (laughs) Professor Melonhead, have you found out what causes Costello's dreams? Well, Abbott, my superficial diagnosis tells me that Costello's dreams are caused by contraction of the nerves in his head, making his brain too tense. My brain is too tense? Yep. Two tenths the size of a normal brain. <laughs> Melon head for two tenths, I'd suck you right in the puss. All right. Now, Costello, I will attempt to remedy your condition by massaging your head. First, I will stuff cotton into your auditory canal. Then, I will pack your cranium in cracked ice, tighten your cerebrum, loosen your cerebellum, and then I will rub horse liniment into your medulla oblongata. <laughs> Ha, 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 ha.
wouldn't dare. <laughs> you haven't got the nerve. Oh, now, Costello, a person's equilibrium is often an important factor in the cause and effect of dreams. Therefore, I will have to test your equilibrium. Melonhead, if you as much as lay one finger on my equilibrium, I will call my mother. <laughs> no, no, no. To test your equilibrium, Costello, I want you to climb up this stepladder here and balance yourself on the top step. Go ahead. Well, it's very silly, but I'll go. Here I go. Ah, Costello is now climbing the ladder. He's up 15 feet. He's up 30 feet. Keep climbing, Costello. Now he's up 75 feet. Costello has now climbed up to 100 feet. Now, uh, wait, 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 wait a minute, Professor. Wait a minute. That stepladder is only nine feet tall. Oh, my goodness. What a mistake. Costello! Costello, come down here at once! Costello, do you realize you climbed up a hundred feet and that ladder is only nine feet high? Now he tells me. Oh, let me out of here. Let me at that melon head, will you? Let me at melon head. And now here, Bud Abbott, is Costello with the final word. Mr. Costello. I think I figured out a cure for your mania for chasing girls. I've asked Connie Haynes to give you a nice big kiss. Yeah, but that ought to cure me. Go ahead, Connie. Well, pack her up, Mr. Costello, and I'll kiss you. Mm. <laughs> How do you feel now, Mr. Costello, honey? I feel fine, but that sailor in the first row just fainted. Good night, Tom. This is the Armed Forces Radio Service. Stay tuned for Dragnet next on Theater of the Mind. Time now for Sergeant Joe Friday and Dragnet. <laughs> The story you are about to hear is true. Only the names have been changed to protect the innocent. Fatima Cigarettes, best of all long cigarettes, brings you Dragnet. You're a detective sergeant. You're assigned a homicide detail. A police officer is shot down on the front steps of his home. There's no apparent motive for the shooting. The assailant escapes in a blue sedan. Your job, get him. Dragnet, the documented drama of an actual crime. For the next 30 minutes, in cooperation with the Los Angeles Police Department, you will travel step-by-step step on the side of the law through an actual case from official police files. From beginning to end, from crime to punishment, Dragnet is the story of your police force in action. It was Sunday, May 23rd. It was warm in Los Angeles. We were working the day watch out of homicide. 
My partner's Ben Romero. The boss is Thad Brown, chief of detectives. My name's Friday. I was off duty reporting back in on an emergency call. It was five minutes past 3 a.m. when I got to room 42. Homicide. Hi, Joe. Hi. How is he? He's dead. Huh? Went kind of fast. I just got the call a couple of minutes ago. He died in Witt Hospital. Friday, Ben. Let's go. Thad Brown's office. All right. How'd it happen, Skipper? Haven't got all the details. Guy used a shotgun, point blank. Fillmore didn't have a chance. Chief of the detective's office, Egan. Crime lab? Yeah, out there now. Right. Chief Ron Egan? Down the hall with Captain Wright, intelligence office. Said to have you wait. Okay, we'll be inside. Right. You want to fill us in, Skipper? No, not much to tell. Fillmore was working the day watch at a robbery. He left work at 6 o'clock last night, drove home. Yeah. He had dinner, then he and his wife went to a show. Got home about 11.30, went to bed. Yeah. About 1.30 this morning, the front doorbell rang and Fillmore answered it. His wife said she heard him open the door and there was a gunshot. She ran to the front door in time to see a guy jump in a car and drive away. Fillmore was lying on the porch, chest ripped open. You say the guy used a shotgun? Yeah. No other information on the car he used? Blue sedan, that's all the wife could tell us. She didn't get the license number. Said it looked like a new model car. No physical evidence. I haven't found anything yet. Here's the boss, Chief. Elliot, you brief Friday in Romero? Told him much as I know. Any idea what the guy's motive was? Revenge. Any leads? Just one. Then White Intelligence came up with it. A guy by the name of Jake Carver. Carver? Not familiar. Got out of Folsom three days ago. Served seven years armed robbery. Yeah. Fillmore was the man who got Carver and sent him up. At the time he was sentenced, Carver swore up and down he'd get Fillmore when he got out. Hot-headed punk. What do we look for, Carver? Already checked where he's supposed to be staying. Not there. Mm-hmm. The list of guys he used to run with before he went to Folsom. Thanks. Let's see, Joe. Here it is. Ralph Danton, Ernie Travis, Jaime Flores. Carver been seen around town since he got out? Once that we know of in a bar out on Sunset Boulevard. Flores is with him. Well, how about Travis and Danton? They still around? Well, let's see. Travis went east two years ago. Danton's around. Still runs with Flores. That's where you start. Flores? Yeah. Okay. Any reason? Two. Flora's sister used to go with Carver. Yeah. Flora's owns a blue sedan. 3.20 a.m. We checked Jaime Flora's last known address, the old 76 Hotel down in South Alameda. Flora's had moved. His forwarding address was his mother's house, 1232 Alabama Street, out in Boyle Heights. His mother told us Jaime was living on County View Avenue in Highland Park. 4.30 a.m. We located the address. No garage here. Wonder where Jaime keeps his car. Uh, not parked on the street. Yeah? What do you want? Police officers. Oh. Like to talk to Jaime Flores? Jaime? It's late. We're in bed. It's important. We'd like to talk to him. All right. Wait. I'll go get him up. Jaime, come on, get up. Come on, Jaime. Cops at the door. I want to talk to you. What did it say? They want to talk to you. Yeah, officers. What can I do for you? You, Jaime Flores. That's right. We're looking for Jake Carver. You know where he is? I wish I did. I'm through with that guy. Why? What's the matter? He borrowed my car the day before yesterday. So he'd only be gone a couple of hours. I'm still waiting. You own a blue sedan, is that right? Yeah, 48 Chevy. Why, did he crack it up? 
couldn't tell you. Do you have any idea where we can look for Carver? If I did, I'd be looking myself. You know if Carver's got a gun? Why, had Punk pull a job? Does he have a gun? In the trunk of the car, I use it on hunting trips. What kind? Shotgun. 4.45 a.m. We got out a broadcast and an APB on Jake Carver, containing a complete description of the car and its license number. Roadblocks were set up on all main roads leading out of the city, and police details at the airports, bus depots, and the railroad terminals were alerted. All of the people whom Carver was known to have run with before he was sent to Folsom Penitentiary were rounded up and brought in for questioning. While Captain Elliott from Homicide supervised the interrogation, Ben went across the street to check with the coroner at the morgue. I contacted Lee Jones at the crime lab. 6 a.m., we met in Chief of Detective Stad Brown's office. Crime lab find anything? Single footprint, that's all. Jones found it in one of the flower beds in front of Fillmore's home. Is it tie-in? Size 10. That's Carver's size. That'll help. Is there any indication Carver might still be in the city? No, there was a good three hours between the time Fillmore was shot and the roadblocks went up. What about Carver's pals? they help any? Well, Flores is the only one I met seeing him since he got out. What about Flores' sister, Dorothy? She lives out in Long Beach. and seen us in Burton and bringing her in now. That guy, Flores, did you question him again, Elliot? Yeah. You satisfied with everything he... He told you that he knows? That's right. He doesn't seem to be too close to Carver. No record of any correspondence with him while he was in Folsom. How about the coroner's report? No. Shotgun close range hit him hard. Well, there's mug shots of Carver. Are they out? Photocopy's still working on it. Turning out 2,000. Brown speaking. Albert. Hi. They got Dorothy Flores in the interrogation room. You want to talk to her, Elliot? Uh, ben, you and Joe talk to her. Tell Encinas and Burton to check in here. I got another angle I want them to start on. Right, let's go, Joe. He must be as mad as a hatter. Three days out of Folsom and he kills a cop. Yeah, if it was him. You got any other ideas? We need more than a footprint. We got to find the gun and we got to prove that he used it. You two going to take over? Yeah, Lloyd. You and Gil check in at the chief's office. The captain wants to see you. Okay. You want the policewoman to stand by? It's fine. Let's go, Gil. See you guys later. All right. Lloyd. You're Dorothy Flores? Yeah. You know why you're here? Jake Carver. That's what they told me. That's right. You know where he is? No. Have you seen Carver in the past three days? Look, I don't want any part of the guy. He's nothing to me. He never was. You used to go around with him, didn't you? Seven years ago, before he went to Folsom. Mm-hmm. What happened to your eye, Miss Flores? Those bruises there on your arm. Mm. We had a party. I fell and bumped myself. Looks like a pretty new black eye. Did you have the party last night? I told you, Jake's nothing to me. He's a crazy hothead. I don't want any part of him. Was he around to see you last night? I used to go with him, that's all. I don't care what happened to him. You saw him last night. Huh? I didn't. This is on a murder rap, Miss Flores. I didn't want to see him. He came to my room. He forced his way in. I didn't want any part of him. When was it? Early this morning. What time? About two o'clock, maybe ten after. He wanted money. I acted like a crazy man. I told him I didn't have any money. He slugged me. That's how I got this mouse. What do you want the money for? He, he said he got the cop who sent him up. He had to get out of town. He took my purse. Forty-eight dollars in it. Was he driving your brother's car? Yeah. I, I didn't want any part of him. I got nothing in this. Did they tell you where he was headed? Mexico. He's got friends across the border. Tijuana. All right. Stay with her, Ben. And uh, get a stenographer, too, will you? Yeah. Right here. 
Friday. The Flores girl, Skipper, Carver saw her this morning, admitted shooting Fillmore. She says he's headed south for Tijuana. Maybe he stopped off on the way. How do you mean? The drugstore in San Pedro just held up. Owner was shot and killed. Yeah? The guy was driving a blue sedan. An immediate alert was teletyped to the coastal town south of Los Angeles in the vicinity of San Pedro. The San Diego police were alerted, as were the Mexican authorities in Tijuana and other designated points of entry along the California-Mexico border. 7.50 a.m., Ben and I, together with Lloyd Barton and Al Chambra of Homicide, drove down to San Pedro and checked in with Lieutenant Maxwell at San Pedro Homicide. What kind of a gun did the guy use, Lieutenant? I checked the body. Looks like it could have been a forty-five. No chance it might have been a shotgun? No, not that kind of a wound. Who saw the guy make his getaway? My wife did. We live right across the street from the drugstore. Wife heard the shooting and ran to the window. She says it was a blue sedan. She didn't see the license plate? No. I got a look at the car before it disappeared. It looked like a Chevy to me. There's been no sign of it since the roadblocks went up? Not yet. It's pretty hard to understand. How do you mean? Uh, take a look at the map here. Here's Palace Verdes and Clifton to the west. Roadblocks there. Yeah. Uh-huh. Here's the roadblock to the north, just this side of Harbor City. Another one northeast, near Wilmington. Yeah. This one here, outside of Long Beach. Had four roads to pick from. They're all blocked off, huh? No turnoffs, no detours. All the roads are under patrol. You think he got south beyond Long Beach before the roadblocks went up? Not a chance. It's hard to figure. He could be hiding out somewhere along the way. Hey, excuse me. Huh? This is Lieutenant Maxwell. Where? Okay, be right there. Anything? I found the car off the coast highway, blue Chevy sedan. How about Carver? Bloodstains in the front seat. That's all they found. You are listening to Dragnet for the step-by-step solution to an actual police case. found the blue Chevrolet sedan. It was lying overturned in a ditch just off a dead-end road on the edge of a grove of eucalyptus trees. Oil was still dripping from the crankcase. There were blood stains on the upholstery in the front seat. In the glove compartment, we found two empty shotgun shells. Ben marked them with his initials for evidence and wrapped them in a handkerchief. The fingerprint men were called. We fanned out and started a search of the general area. See if we can't pick up a trail in this eucalyptus grove here. Sure has got me beat. What's that? The car all smashed up back there, blood all over. The guy must have been hurt. How'd he get this far away from the car? What makes you think he did get far? Either that or he's hiding right under a nose. No sign of a trail through here? No, there's nothing. There's a clearing up ahead. Come on, let's cut through this brush here. Ben, come here. Yeah. Take a look. The trunk of this tree. Brown smears on it. Blood? Maybe. Look, higher up on the trunk there's the same thing. Wait a minute. Up in the tree. Can you see anything up there? No, the branches are pretty thick. Trees go pretty high up. It's 60 feet up there. Come here, Joe. Yeah? Follow my hand. No, just over to the left where I'm pointing. Oh, yeah. Cover, Ben. You all right, Joe? Yeah. Can you see him? Yeah, up near the top. Brian, wait! Stay off, Burton. Don't come in the clearing. He's up in one of the trees. Throw that gun down. Then come down yourself. All right, Ben. Ready, Joe. Hold it. 
car. Shotguns over there. See a lot? Yeah. It's a hard tree to climb. Wonder how he got up there. I don't know. But this was the only way to get him down. We called an ambulance and had Jake Carver taken back to Los Angeles to the county hospital, the prison ward. We took the shotgun and the empty shells and booked them as evidence with the property clerk. The wrecked blue sedan was impounded. Two counts of murder were filed against Carver with the district attorney. There was still one important piece of evidence missing, the 45 pistol used in the robbery and murder of the San Pedro druggist. A month passed. While Carver recuperated in the prison ward of the county hospital, we were busy building a case for his conviction. We still had only enough evidence to convict him for one of the murders. Another two months went by. On August 30th, Jake Carver was brought to trial for the shotgun murder of police officer Robert Fillmore. Ten days later, the jury found him guilty of first-degree murder. He was sentenced to a life term in Folsom Penitentiary. Knowing that we didn't have enough evidence to convict his client for the murder of the druggist, Carver's lawyer demanded an immediate trial on the second charge. Wednesday, September 12th, 10 a.m., I was called at the chief of detective's office. Friday, sit down. Thank you. Elliot and I have been talking about this Jake Carver thing. They set the trial date yet? Starts next Tuesday. Bringing Carver down from Folsom tomorrow. It's bum luck. We're not going to convict him on the evidence we've got. We don't even have the gun. We've got to get a conviction. He beat the death rap for killing Fillmore. If he gets over this one, that means he's still eligible for parole. Yeah. So he serves ten years, maybe. Good behavior. He gets out and he's ready to start in all over again. Yeah, if we could just sew him up for killing that druggist, we could put him away for good. One in the house, Skipper. It's a pretty good bet that no jury will convict him unless we find that gun. We've got another out. Just one. What's that? We can get Carver to admit he killed that druggist. It's a neat trick. When you and Ben got him last May, uh, <clears throat> did he see you at all? You think he could recognize you again? Well, couldn't have gotten a very good look from where he was up in that tree. Ben did all the testifying at the trial. I wasn't even there. Now he wouldn't know me. Why? When they bring Carver down from Folsom tomorrow, they'll put him in county jail while he's waiting trial. Yeah. Chief figures that we could plant you in the same cell with him is a chance he might talk, if you play it right. Well, I don't know. He's no beginner. Neither are you. You carve enough of the right bait at the right time, and there's a chance he'll put his foot in it. Maybe. All right, will you set it up with the county jail? Yeah, and remember, he's a killer. Don't take any chances. Suppose he gets wise. Well, then we'll know you tried. The following day at 2 p.m., I was booked at Central Jail as Joe Ramos, a robbery suspect. Ramos was the actual name of an eastern thief whom we knew was not acquainted with Jake Carver. After being mugged and fingerprinted, transportation officers took me to the 12th floor of the Hall of Justice where I was booked into the county jail. After that, I was taken down to a cell block on the 10th floor known as the High Power Tank, where prisoners charged with major crimes are held. During the day, the individual cells are left open and the prisoners are allowed to visit with one another. I was taken back and shown the cell I was assigned to. Jake Carver was already there. He was playing two-handed poker with another inmate on the lower bunk. Here you are, Ramos. This cell here. You can take the top bunk. All right. How many cards you want? Make it two, Jake. Hey, uh, move, will you? I want to get in my bunk. Come on, make your bet. Just two cigarettes. You're two, bunk you six. I said I'd like to get in my bunk. 
point, Sam. Play again. Okay. I'll see you. Maybe you didn't hear me, Sam. I said I want to get in my bunk. I heard you, Mac. I don't like shoving around like this. All right, now sit down. What's your complaint? Didn't they tell you when you came through the door? They bury you in the hole for beefing in here. Then as long as I'm in here with you, let's get it straight right now. Don't bother me. And while you're at it, keep your rum-dumb pals out of here, you understand? I don't think I do. You'll be around uh, quite a while, smart guy. I won't forget this. Oh, yeah. Shout time. Come on, here it is. What are you doing down there, Dominic? Nothing. I always sit on the floor. Get back to your cell. Ciao. Yeah. See you, Jake. junk they feed you. Boiled beef, boiled potatoes. It's a habit with them here. Junk. Can you buy from the outside candy? Sometimes pie. Guy comes around in the morning. Who are you? Joe Ramos. Ramos, huh? Chicago? I've been there. So have I. I'm Jake Carver. Hiya. All right. What are you up for? Talk to my lawyer. You got a smart mind. You got a big one. You take care of your own worries, huh? I'll take care of mine. I ain't got any worries. I got a maid. Hey, you want that piece of bread? I don't want any of it. Take it. Tell the truth, I never had it so good. No witnesses, no evidence. And can't touch me. Sure. That's why you're in here. Three days passed. By playing the part of the tough gunman from Chicago, I succeeded in getting close to Carl. Because of the close confinement, I was with him almost constantly, but he still refused to confide. In a roundabout way, I pressed him as much as I could for the answer without making him suspicious. No results. 8.55 p.m. Sunday, two days before the trial opened. Sam, Jake Carl, and I were playing blackjack in the aisle just outside our cell. All right, Sam, hit me. Here you are. Okay, I'm good. Ramos? I'll stand. 18. Pay 19. Ah, it's all for me. Me too. I'm going to hit the side. Yeah, just when I start to come back. Always crying. Hey, Ramos, seems to me I remember you. Haven't I seen you around City Hall? Sure. I live there. All right, it's time. Lock up. What's he talking about? I don't know. I'm getting a headache. It's killing me. Yeah? Let me crack your neck. It'll help it. No, it's no good. You got any of them brown pills? Come on, I'll crack your neck. Loosen up those nerves. Always helps me. Yeah? Yeah, here. Let me show you. Come on, turn around. Take it easy. Just relax. Let yourself go. Yeah. I'll get my hands around the back of your neck. Come on, relax. This won't hurt you. All right. You got to be careful with this, though. You could break a guy's neck, you know. Take it easy, huh? What's the matter? Come on, relax. All right. Let me get a better grip on your neck. Take it easy, huh? All right, now. Yeah. All right, Stuart, how's that? That's oh, not bad. Feels a little better. That works okay. Sure. Hey, I noticed you had a visitor today. One of the boys in the East? No. A friend of mine out here. He just got in town. The coppers are trying to pin a killing on him. No, who is he? Max Wesley. A good man. 
tried to say he pulled a job down in San Pedro. Pedro? What kind of job? Stick up drugstore a couple months ago. Yeah? That's what they got me on, you know? It's funny. Well, I think I'll get some shut-eye. What about this job they're trying to hang on him? He tell you? I don't remember. The guy who ran the store was shot up. I died. Max wasn't even in town when it happened. Happened in May? Last May? I don't know. I'll see you in the morning. Yeah. Hard bed. They didn't have nothing on Max, huh? They let him go. Oh, I said he's out on bail. No, I mean, no evidence on him. No gun, huh? Well, he got a gun. I think that's what Max said. Where'd they find it, they say? I don't know where they found it. Go to sleep. Would he mention anything else about Pedro, like San Pedro Hills? Yeah. Well, maybe that's where they found it. I think Max said that. Ah. That couldn't be. All right. That's neither. Hey, uh, Ramos, it wasn't the Harbor Drugstore, was it? What's eating you, anyway? Will you go to sleep? Look, Ramos. Ramos, I gotta know. It's important. What are you talking about? I gotta get some sleep. Will you listen a minute? I ditched a gun down there in the San Pedro Hills. All right, what are you worrying about? They don't send you up for hiding guns. Listen, I'm hot on that job. They got me on one murder rap. They tagged me on another one. It's for keeps. What do you want me to do? Talk to the governor? Are you sure this guy, Max, said that they found a gun? Now, look, Carver. Max said they found a gun in the San Pedro Hills. Now, you get on down in your bunk and let's talk about it in the morning, what, huh? What, what kind? Did he say what kind? I don't know. I don't remember. Was it a forty-five? Something like that. Yeah, forty-five. I guess that was it. I get... Let's go. Got that jailer barking down here. Quiet down in there. All right. You go to sleep now? I can't be. It's not the same one. They, they couldn't have found it. They haven't talked to me. Ramos. Huh? When did they find the gun? Did Max tell you that? Oh. When did they find the gun? When? Hmm? I don't know. He didn't say where? San Pedro Hills. Ramos, I gotta know. Wasn't by a covert, was it? On the hill road? I don't know. I'll ask Max the next time I see him. Is that where you ditched yours? They, they couldn't have found it. Nobody could have. Uh, it was, it this covert, see, back on the road. Yeah. There was a piece of cement broken off the bottom edge of the covert, kind of a hollowed-out space inside. I pushed the dirt all around it. You gotta ask Max. Uh-huh. Ask him where they found that gun. Yeah, I'll see him Wednesday. I'll ask him. You gotta find out. They could put me away for good. What are you worrying about? I haven't paired you up yet with a the gun they found. Yeah. Yeah, that's right. Maybe they didn't figure it. Maybe they forgot. Maybe. Yeah. Cops are dumb. They forget. That's what everybody says, isn't it? Yeah. That's what everybody says. <laughs> On September 18th, trial was held in Superior Court, Department 91, City and County of Los Angeles, State of California. The murder gun, a 45 caliber automatic pistol, was recovered from the San Pedro Hills and Jacob John Carver was brought to trial. 
He was tried and convicted of murder in the first degree. The jury again refused to recommend the death penalty. Carva is now serving a life term in the state penitentiary without possibility of parole. You have just heard Dragnet, authentic cases from official files. Technical advice for Dragnet comes from the office of Chief of Police, W.A. Wharton, Los Angeles Police Department. Dragnet wishes to thank the editors of Radio Best magazine for their considerate appraisal of this program. For those of you who may be interested, a novelized version of Dragnet appears in the April issue of Radio Best. Fatima Cigarette, the best of all long cigarettes, has brought you Dragnet from Los Angeles. Thank you for listening. Tomorrow night, it's Escape, followed by Our Miss Brooks. Thanks to Joel Schoenwell and Paul Stringer for technical support. The executive producer for Theater of the Mind is Moses Neimer. I'm Frank Proctor. Have a great night. This podcast is proudly produced and presented by the Zoomer Podcast Network, home of great podcasts like Marilyn Lightstone Reads, Idea City on the Air, and The Garden Show.